Hey, everybody. Before we start today's episode, I want to quickly tell you about a new offering from our friends at Jelly Smack. Jelly Smack is always looking for innovative ways to help creators go bigger, and they just announced an amazing program called Jelly Smash Productions. Hey, wait a second. Lauren, you work there. Why don't you tell us what it's all about? Sure do, Josh. I'd be happy to. Jelly Smash Productions offers full-service original content production for creators. We surveyed over 200 creators, and a third of them said they need help with producing and shooting content. Jelly Smash will help creators come up with new ideas, produce the shoot, and edit the videos. So anyone your crew has worked with yet? Yeah, we have filmed videos for Karina Garcia, Charles and Alyssa Forever, Spicy Cam, and many more. Creators love it because we take care of all the production work and we can shoot up to six videos in a day so they can bank content and take more time off. Sounds awesome and legitimately that does sound pretty awesome, like a great deal for creators. And you can read all about Jelly Smash Productions at jellysmack.com slash jellysmash dash productions. When you get in touch, make sure the tell them creator upload sent you. This week on Creator Upload, is TikTok getting banned and would it really matter if it did? Is Elon going to bring back Vine? Facebook makes profiles easy and YouTube is now the future of TV. Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I'm Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren. What? What's your familiarity with amicus briefs? I'm not really. <laughs> This is the part of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, where I ask Lauren things that I know she doesn't have a good answer for, which makes me feel a little bit superior and just like gives me a little bit of an edge. Yeah, Yeah, just it's really annoying. And do it all the time in in private, but in front of an audience. What he needs to feel good about himself is put other people down. (laughs) Go on, please. No, tell me more. Not put other people, specifically my podcast co-host. Specifically me. And it's not putting you down. It's it's using you as a vehicle to educate others. It's putting you up. It's putting you up. Okay, go on. Well, Mm -hmm. let me read one for you. Mm Mm-hmm. The Onion is the world's leading news publication, offering highly acclaimed, universally revered coverage of breaking national, international, and local news events. Rising from its humble beginnings as a print newspaper in 1756, Mm. The Onion now enjoys a daily readership of 4.3 trillion and has grown into the single most powerful and influential organization in human history. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit more. In addition to maintaining a towering standard of excellence to which the rest of the industry aspires, The Onion supports more than 350,000 full and part-time journalism jobs. Mm in its numerous news bureaus and manual labor camps stationed around the world. <laughs> and members of its editorial board have served with the distinction as in an advisory capacity for such nations as China, Syria, Somalia, and the former Soviet Union. It's very funny. It goes on from there mm-hmm. for some 23 more pages. Mm-hmm. And it was basically filed at the beginning of October in support of Anthony Novak who is asking the Supreme Court to take up his civil rights lawsuit against the police officers who arrested and prosecuted him So the student Anthony Novak lives in the city of Parma, Ohio, and created this fake Facebook page of the Parma Police Department and was posting to the Facebook page these different types of alerts that were, in his mind, satire of the Mm. Parma Police Department, which, to say the least, does not have the best track record, especially in cases of dealing with minorities and other diverse peoples. So The Onion submitted this paper basically trying to tell the Supreme Court that, one, it has an interest in this case because it is this purveyor of satire, and two, that people like Anthony Novak should be able to post the types of things he posted because satire is legal under the law and is an important part of our government and institutions and society as a different way to bring grievances to light that people might have against systems of authority or public figures. 
And the thing about this particular amicus brief, though, and why it's getting some play now is a bunch of people have posted videos about it, including the legal eagle, in which he and others are calling it possibly the greatest amicus brief of all time. Because throughout these 23 pages, it uses satire to illustrate its point that satire should be allowable and in Anthony Novak's case was totally justifiable and is cool to use. I suggest everyone goes and checks out Legal Eagle's video on it. It's fantastic. We'll put it in the show notes. And you can go read the brief too. Just Google Onion Amicus Brief. I'm sure you'll find it. It is a banger. Kudos for the Onion for like getting in a headline right now. Yeah, that's true. Good for the Onion. Okay, great. We have like a ton of stuff to talk about. The first, the big thing talking about the government is the FCC commissioner has said that the government should ban TikTok. I don't believe there is a path forward for anything other than a ban. The FCC commissioner, Brendan Carr, told Axios, he said that there wasn't a world in which you could come up with sufficient protection on the data that you could have sufficient confidence that it is not finding its way back into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. This is the reason why this is huge. And it's interesting because what what people should know is that the FCC actually doesn't have the authority to like ban anything. But that being said, their recommendations usually do impact policy. So the big example that is incredibly relevant is Huawei, which is the Chinese sort of telecom company that was supposed to, I don't remember what they were going to do, but do a big deal here. or They were going to get in the 5G, 5G networks. And he, he similarly was like, no, don't do this several years ago. And they and the Congress acted on this. And and so it's it's huge that he has come out and in a very official capacity and said that what happens as a result of this, nobody kind of really knows. So right now, TikTok is apparently currently negotiating with some government body called CFIUS, which is the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. Basically, they're currently in active negotiations to supposedly divest themselves from China. And so what TikTok spokesperson said is, Commissioner Carr has no role in the confidential discussions with the U.S. government related to TikTok and appears to be expressing views independent of his role as an FCC commissioner. We are confident that we are on a path to reaching an agreement with the U.S. government that will satisfy all reasonable national security concerns. So basically they're saying that like, and he admitted to this, like he's not involved in those discussions. Like he's never claiming he's doing what he's saying is like, despite that, no matter what, he is not in any way, shape or form confident that they're ever going to be fully um, divested from China. And, you know, it's notable that like BuzzFeed News reported, I think in June, ByteDance instructed employees to push pro-Beijing messaging to U.S. users of the app. So there's there's been a lot of things that have come out. I think Forbes did something last month saying that they ByteDance planned to use TikTok to collect information about certain users. I mean, like he's basically, he's just saying that there's no version no matter what, that TikTok is ever going to be safe in this country and that we should ban it. Here's my big takeaway with this is that who knows what's going to happen. I mean, I think if nothing else, this these negotiations that are going on are going to like surface sooner than later. Like TikTok is incredibly motivated to find a way out of this because this is the strongest, the strongest sort of quote unquote independent body that has come out just being like under no certain terms, this is not okay. I think that if TikTok gets banned, you know what I think is going to, you know what I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be a blip, Josh. I think it's going to be a blip. And I think all the, except for the folks, of course, that work at TikTok in the US, which I, I know some of those folks, so they're good people. I think that as we know, all the other platforms, your favorite, you know them, you love them, YouTube shorts, reels, all these other places. We'll talk about Elon a little bit, but Twitter is going to be motivated. There's a lot of places for these folks to go right now and gain really big followings. I kind of think if TikTok gets banned, it ain't going to be a big deal. I think it's literally going to be one of those things where like in a, 
overnight, 40, within 48 hours, all these people are going to find followings elsewhere. Maybe not within 48 hours, but definitely within three months. I think YouTube sales are ways to go in terms of the functionality, editing capabilities, different effects, and more that it offers users on the platform. Everybody on those partnerships teams are currently calling every major TikTok star and being like, bring your audience over here. You don't know what's going to happen. You might as well start building this now because they could get banned tomorrow and you have nothing. And at least right now, you could say to those followers, go find me on YouTube Shorts right now. So they're like very motivated right now. For sure. And Kara Swisher asked Evan Spiegel at the Code Conference a couple months ago what he thought about TikTok and a potential ban there. And he, you know, gave kind of a wishy-washy response, not necessarily straightforward, but did indicate that back when then President Trump was talking about banning TikTok, there weren't a lot of alternatives, but now there are plenty of alternatives. And so an environment where TikTok is banned today looks very different than an environment where TikTok was banned a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I'm a TikTok creator, I'm not even waiting for anybody from these platforms to reach out. I'm just going to start building my audience elsewhere, like period. And it's worth noting that Brendan Carr's statement about wanting to ban TikTok came before this new information where TikTok tells European users its staff in China gets access to their data. So TikTok is spelling out to its European users that their data can be accessed by employees outside the continent, including in China, amid political and regulatory concerns about Chinese access to user information on the platform. That's from The Guardian from this week. And just to continue, the Chinese-owned social video app is updating its privacy policy to confirm that staff in countries, including China, as well as Brazil, Israel, and the U.S., are allowed to access user data to ensure their experience on the platform is consistent, enjoyable, and safe. I'm sure. I, I mean, there's not. it's not even a question. This is not a question. They are absolutely accessing our data, 100%, and data that, like, is not public. This is, it's, it's not even a question. And again, Facebook, Google have never been allowed in China. Why this is it's insanity. It's insanity that we're allowing this. Now we'll see what happens because again, I bet within if it's a week or less, they're gonna come out with some proposed kind of separation or I don't know who what it's gonna look like with these negotiations going on. They're moving incredibly fast. I'm positive about that. I mean, it's about time, honestly. Like this is ridiculous and we're just letting it happen. And I think, you know, again, this is nothing to say of the people that, you know, I personally know that work at TikTok. I don't think that those folks in this country are aware. And I think they believe that like, there's no malfeasance going on. I don't think they're doing anything, but I don't think that they know. I don't think they know. And I don't think that, that I think that's on purpose. I think Vanessa Papa knows and she's, she knows that they're located. I think she knows that their headquarters is in China, despite her testimony in front of Congress. And Lauren, here's one more thing to note on this that I think is particularly interesting. I forgot about it and it was just recently brought back to my attention. Did you know that on China's version of TikTok, Douyin, Children are given a threshold of how much they can watch per day and during which hours they can watch in a given day. No, I didn't know. So users under the age of 14 who have been authenticated using their real names are only able to access the platform between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. and only for 40 minutes a day. That's good. I'm out of that. Yeah, but it's wild that they're <laughs> limiting the amount of time that this app has on their own population. Of course they are. In in their own nation. Of course and then they just are. letting it run free across the rest of the world. Hello? Granted, they shouldn't have any ties to how long an American can stay on the app or not. But I think it's telling that they're limiting the access to this highly addictive, highly influential app in their own nation and yeah, letting everyone because they know how bad it is. It's, it. it's ridiculous. It's and that's yeah. I mean, this whole thing is just crazy, and I'm I'm so curious to see what happens. 
But again, I think for me, I just don't think it's going to be that big of a deal if it goes away in terms of creators. I just really don't. It's not like, it's not like creators have this huge monetization stream on TikTok. That's not happening. You know what I mean? It's not like- I think they do. I don't think creators have a huge long-term monetization stream on TikTok. There are still lots of creators that are giving big deals on TikTok in terms of influencer marketing, but the nature of that is generally more sporadic than whatever it is on other platforms. But I have talked to some managers that were like, yo, we just got a year-long deal on TikTok for next year. So as 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 marketers are starting to get more comfortable with the platform, that is happening more, but it's still not nearly the type of reliable revenue you can count. I, I just on think if places. I was a creator, if I was a manager, I would just be making plans. I just would not rely on this. You, this this is a, this is an incredibly significant moment in in this fight for both sides. I believe it's going, there's going to be some major moves as a result of this, whether it is a ban or whether that sale is going to happen, what that's going to mean, that something's going to happen. This doesn't, the FCC doesn't just say this sort of stuff and, and nothing happens. I don't know. I think there's way too much money involved where people will figure out how the spin off and acquiesce to whatever demands the U.S. government has. Okay, moving on. Um, Elon Musk, I don't know if you heard this, Josh, but Elon Musk bought Twitter. Did you hear? For a steal. Steal. A bargain at double the price of $44 billion. Really? That's total steal. Uh, fascinating turn of events. What I'm interested in with regards to this is not the all drama that's been going on with regards to him trying to get out of that purchase, but it's the fact that they're talking about, wait for it, bringing back Vine, which I just, for those that don't remember, was a short-lived app that was acquired by Twitter that was like six second videos gave us some some gems like a Logan and a Jake Paul came out of that. Um, and it was a huge smash, ended up being a disaster because Twitter never figured out what to do with it, didn't figure out how to monetize, didn't regulate the brand deals. It was just it was just a mess. I was very similarly to when, honestly, very similarly to when um when that was kind of going down and I was working at Facebook and I was like, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna end well. This is this is I didn't necessarily know that Vine was gonna be shut down, but I was like, this is a disaster. So what did I do? I went out and found all these like quote unquote Vine that had started presences on Facebook and started really kind of whining and dining them and being like, come over to Facebook, talk to us. I had like huge sessions where I'd have like two dozen of them come in and get product feedback from them and help them figure out how to, you know, monetize, even though we weren't monetizing at all in terms of um, AdSense at that point or whatever you call it on Facebook. What's interesting about Vine is that it was effectively ahead of its time in terms of short video. I mean, even though YouTube will try to be like, we always had shorts. No, they didn't. Fine with shorts. Because of TikTok, I'm sure there's a lot of motivation, certainly from Elon, to figure out short video because there's might be an opportunity there. What do you think? Do you think it's fine going to come back? I like the idea of Power Lauren holding these salons with a bunch of like Literally. 18 to 23 year old mm-hmm. would be millionaires. Like I have, there's articles about it. <laughs> I can find them. Amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. To your point of what you said about five minutes ago, there's so much competition now. I think Vine has one shot at a resurrection for it to do anything substantial in this space just because of its name recognition. There have been a ton of different Vine competitors that have failed, that have more or less tried to capitalize on the same short form, incredibly short form premise of Vine, and they just haven't worked. It burnt way too brightly, too fast, and then died way too young for a lot of people. I think anyone will give it a second shot, no matter what. And to its credit, Twitter has this amazing distribution mechanism. I mean, TikTok got to be the TikTok it is now because of two things. One, 
spending hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing, mm -hmm. but also having this free and open distribution strategy where you yes. can download the TikTok with a watermark and upload it anywhere. And so my consumption and still lots of other people's consumption today, but my initial consumption of TikTok was 100% through Twitter. Yep. So there is something here where if Twitter developed its own short form video platform because of how Twitter works, it, it could do something. I don't think it would be successful. I think it's maybe worth a shot depending on the different engineering resources involved, but I don't think it's going to work long-term. I think it would be some type of interesting add-on component to whatever else Twitter is going to become, but it's not going to be the core feature or something that really resurrects Twitter as a whole. It's just interesting because it's like also like they don't they could just create that and not use Vine as but like but also they have that. So there's there and all the kids love a nostalgia sort of play right now. So that could be interesting um, from a marketing standpoint. But it's like they don't actually need that. They could just create whatever video. But like I feel like like if I'm Elon and he like it's like, you know, you do you, you bring back Vine. And as soon as like I would be like recruiting all the TikTokers, right, like TikTok employees that are smart right now to go over there and build that at, at Twitter. Because to your point, it's like that is how they, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing on Instagram. I mean, it's just crazy that like that those folks let them do that. Like it's just like from a competitive standpoint, they didn't like I mean, yeah, there's short term money to be gained. But now look where they are now. So it's very interesting. I'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's I, I can already see a marketing play of like where they get like Logan and Jake Paul to come back, my favorites, and like, you know, do some big push about the you know, vine is back and this is how we got big and come to vine and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's so much stuff you could do there. Twitter's also reportedly working on a paid video feature with quote high unquote risk where it would let people post videos and charge users to view them with the mm -hmm. company taking kind of the proceeds. Mm -hmm. Also with a hint towards adult content and programming. Mm. My friends tell me that there is a lot of porn on Twitter. If you go and seek it out, I would sure. know. Sure. But I have heard that it's there. And just uh -huh. like TikTok and Instagram have been funnels to OnlyFans for lots of individuals, mm -hmm. Twitter has been one too. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, uh, look, I don't necessarily like the way he got here. I despise a lot of what he says. I think some of these ideas that Elon has are worth trying. And he's trying to capitalize on what Twitter's really good at and what Twitter hasn't extracted value from before. It hasn't extracted value of like anything considering like how, you know, how often it's you. I mean, it's just crazy if you think about it relative to the other tech companies. And like, I think that he's somebody who can who can find that value. I mean, he's, I also just think he's not afraid. He obviously not afraid to like offend people and not afraid to try things and, you know, um, see what happens and go big. So I, I'm really interested to see what happens. I think that there's no better person to try to make Twitter something in the video space and do something innovative. So I just want to see, I want to see them do anything innovative. So let's, let's, let's do it. Okay. Speaking of innovative, um, wink, wink, Facebook, Facebook made a huge announcement this week where they expanded its professional made profile settings to, to all creators globally. So historically, well, let's just back up. The idea of a page on Facebook was created for businesses, really. Like, so um, your local auto body shop, you know, your doctor's office, all that sort of stuff. So when creators started, the reason creators started using pages is because there was a limit to how many friends you could have on your Facebook profile, which was 5,000. And so very often, 
what would happen is you'd have a creator who maybe they're a comedian and they kind of coming up or whatever. And they add, they go to their shows and they start adding folks, adding folks. And all of a sudden they reach their limit. And then they come to like Facebook and they're like, what do I do? And we're like, you have to create a page. And then we're like, and they're like, great. Can we merge over my friends, uh, the people that I've added as friends to this page? Cause I don't really know a lot of these people. And there was this really broken tool that we used to kind of use that would sort of work half the time that would do it. But it was so confusing because all the, the the features and stuff for the page were, again, really not set up for humans. Now, they've definitely made improvements over that with that over the last several years. But just the whole idea that you couldn't have a simple profile and have sort of a public version of that profile and then like a smaller version of that profile. It's not that mind blowing. We were pitching that ad nauseum when I was there. It was really confusing to people. It was also very confusing to people that weren't, I can remember being in a meeting with Jacob Jacob Satorius and I was like, you have to create a page, but your page had to be connected to a profile. So you had to actually create a profile too. Jacob Satorius didn't have a profile. So literally I go, my hack would be like, what's your mom's name? So I'd literally go to his, because of course his mom, who's probably my age, would have a profile and then I would create the page and connect it to the mom's profile. But just the whole concept of like, it works if I am the owner of a used cars business. Like I don't want my used car business to be my profile. So I'm going to create that. And okay, that should be some sort of attachment and blah, blah, blah. But if I'm a human, like, why do I need a page and a profile? Like it should be one thing. So guess what kids, they finally did it. They have made it. So you can basically have your profile and you can have kind of a smaller version of that when you want to just talk to your family and friends. And then you can have like the more public version of that one profile and you can have insights and you can get monetized on that profile. You couldn't do any of this. And it's so like, literally, not only is this the cover of No Dead Magazine, this takes up the entire issue. Okay. There are many, like this is, this is one of those things where I'm just like, I, I cannot believe how long it has taken to happen. It is absurd with all this. I'm committed to creators BS. Like this is insane that it's taken this long. Ted talk over. Lauren Hustle Schnipper hitting up kids' moms to get them on Facebook back like, in the day. Like literally totes. I, and it would be really subtle. I'd be like, hey, what, what's your mom doing? Because they didn't, because for me to also explain to them that this, this ridiculous like way in which they had to create a page was just a waste of everybody's time. And they're like, I don't want to create, I what? I don't want, like, I just want one thing. And so I would just be like, but I couldn't have them just create a profile because that profile would max out. And so I had to have them create a page. So I'd just be like, yeah, what's your mom's, what's your mom's name? <laughs> so how does this affect creators today? What's good for me here? Well, the thing that it, well, they didn't say is that if I'm a creator, can I now merge my page and my profile? They didn't talk about it. And I, and I, and I who knows if that exists, or, but basically it's just a much easier conversation. It's, 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 it's a point of friction, right? That you're getting rid of. So like, you don't have to, you can just say like your creator profile, here's your profile. You want to have it. You have, want to have a private version. You can do that. Here's your public version. You, you just create one thing. Profiles for humans and pages are really ultimately for entities. And so it's just an easier onboarding. It just makes life easier. It makes the job of getting people on Facebook easier. And so now that they've done that, that's, that's the, that's the heck. The big thing that again is like, okay, well, what happens to those folks that kind of want to merge it? And who knows? They didn't mention that. So I don't know if they've created some way to do that, or they're just going to be like, this is a thing, like a go forward basis kind of a thing. Lauren, where does this minutia of product development rank on your scale of like not really influential at all to dramatically going to change the nature of social media itself? That's a great question. It's not a small change. It's a huge change. Here's what I'll say. Facebook is very bad at it. It's making things very complicated. And actually what this does is make things simpler. And so the onboarding of a creator is infinitely easier with this change. 
infinitely easier. It's just, you don't have to explain this crazy, stupid way in which you had to connect things and do and create one and the other. So the onboarding is, so I think if marketed correctly and done correctly, it could help Facebook get a lot more creators and just making it so much easier. I just, I think it's pretty significant in terms of a user experience. It's incredibly significant. Yeah. And this could be an inflection point in the way they handle other things about reducing friction and making it easier for people to get on. Yes. It's just ridiculous that it, it's ridiculous that it's taken this long. Like I, there is no other word. I dig it. So like four to six, depending on how much you've eaten today. Yeah. Uh, quickly, one other Instagram meta, I should say, update is Instagram has launched their NFT marketplace. Zuckerberg announced that he intended to turn Instagram into an NFT marketplace. He didn't reveal, reveal anything specific. I just, I feel like this is one of those things that is going to classically be like, like, it's not even like it was a huge launch, but it's going to go away. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where write a big news post about it. And then they're going to, in like a year, they're going to be like, yeah, we deprecated that because it was a mess and it was a disaster and not making us any money and not going to, you know, no potential upside and it's going to go away. That's my feeling about this. Lauren, I couldn't disagree with you more Mm -hmm. just because of what the head of the head of Instagram would say, aka Mark Zuckerberg, in that he has this multi-billion dollar idea, as you know, to create this metaverse environment where we all have kind of devices on our heads and are living in this interactive experience all day long. A part of that experience will probably be NFTs that you have purchased through Instagram that then integrate into your real world, whether it's someone's type of token that you got of a creator you love. So you're going to go to some classroom to take some TED Talk style course from them and 30 other virtual avatars or Nike shoes that you buy off the Artifact Instagram page. I mean, I think this all makes sense if you zoom out and look at it from the vantage point of this dude is placing a huge bet on Web3 in the metaverse. And so this having his own marketplace where things are bought and sold that then you can utilize in that metaverse is a really big deal and hugely important for that. I mean, I hear you, but... um... I just, I was trying to find the quote from Fiji Simo, who used to be the head of um, the Facebook Blue app, talking about when they launched uh, their Clubhouse competitor, whose name I can't even remember because the product has been deprecated, and her saying that this is the first of like many audio products that they're going to be doing. This is just the beginning. Um, Need I continue? Right. But did she say it on earnings calls to a bunch of investors and pension funds to basically go pound sand while I spend a lot of money on bringing my version of the future into the world? (laughs) I can't speak to that. I don't know. Exactly. It's going to be a big deal. All right. Lauren, should we be selling creator upload podcast merch? I mean, should we have our own shop? I don't know about that, Josh. How much do you think we'd make? That is a very good question. And I I think it's probably the first question on everybody's mind when they're starting to consider a line of consumer products. How much could we make? Well, our sponsor Spring has taken a little of the guesswork out of that equation with Spring Score. Creators can get an estimate of the monthly merch sales based on their social media followings. Okay, this looks pretty cool. So you just choose your main platform, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, or Twitch. Paste your account like there and voila, you get a sales estimate? Wait, is this right? Look how much we could be making, Josh. I know, that's pretty slick, right? 
Check it out now. Just go to springscore.spri.ng or just Google springscore, all one word. Moving on, let's go to some uploads and downloads, Josh. I think an upload that is also in the sort of um, appendix of No Dumb Magazine, Patreon, everybody has launched a video finally. So video features, premium mobile and web experience for fans, custom previews, audience insights, video everywhere can be cast to other devices, HD quality, ad-free, no limit to like the videos. I mean, it is like literally insane that Patreon never had a proper native video experience, but they do now. And I feel like another thing that you're asking me, how, what is the effect of this? I don't know yet, but it's ridiculous that it happened yet. Has not happened yet. So upload for Patreon. Excited to see native video on that platform. It just seems like when they know what's up with all their video components and know how creators are using them and can see and have direct access to the source code so they can implement subtle changes that may not make a difference to anyone else on any other platform, but could be hugely impactful for people specifically on Patreon. There are some unforeseen positive effects that could come of this that we don't quite know what they are yet, but could be huge down the road. Lauren, quick upload from me. YouTube has just launched primetime channels. What are primetime channels? I'll read it to you from their blog post. Every day, people come to YouTube to watch their favorite content, whether it's the latest Mr. Beast challenge, Taylor Swift's newest hit, or highlights throughout this NBA season. With more streaming options than ever before, it can get a little overwhelming jumping from app to app to find what you're looking for. Well, that's about to change. With primetime channels, you will be able to sign up, browse, and watch your favorite TV shows, movies, and sports from streaming services such as Showtime, Stars, Paramount+, Plus. AMC Plus, VIX Plus, and more all directly on YouTube. I'll stop reading now. I love this announcement. I don't think it's gotten a lot of play in the press, but I like it because this is the realization of the future that I think we all had 12, 15 years ago when we got started in this online video ecosystem. Mm -hmm. There was this platonic ideal of a time in the not so distant future where you could be on your TV guide scrolling through and see Phil DeFranco next to CNN. Mm -hmm. And that was the big dream. It was like, when we get to that, we'll have made it. That has not happened in any meaningful capacity in any way, shape or form until the advent of audio activated and audio controlled remote controls for your TV. That helped it a little bit because you can just speak into whatever you kind of want to watch. If you want to watch surfing clips, you might get taken to ESPN or you might get taken to some YouTube surfer that you find then really compelling and discover that way. But now having the ability to basically watch TV through YouTube, I didn't think it would happen this way, but we're here. This is the future of television that we all thought it would be. It's here. It's here. Okay, Josh, I think we did it. Lauren, I think that's it. I'll see you calling my mom, trying to get me the on whatever other product platform you're hawking next. She's on my speed dial. <laughs> if not then, next week on Creator Upload. Today's show was produced by Lauren Schnipper, me, Joshua Cohen, and Carmen Lissette Suarez. It's edited by Jason Kang. Original music is by London Bridge, who you can check out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give us a rating, leave us a comment, email us at info at creatorupload.com. If you like our show, please recommend it to a friend. If you love it, just, you know, recommend it to everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.